If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 11, and we'll begin in verse 5 in just a moment. Luke chapter 11 and verse 5. And uh, we're going to continue Jesus' teaching on prayer. Now, if you were here last week, you know or remember that, um, that we looked at uh, Jesus was in, in, a, in a place praying, and his prayer life was so influential and was such an example to the disciples that one of them came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus gave them an example. He gave them a model prayer that they kind of laid the groundwork for proper prayer. And what we're going to look at today is really his continuing teaching on prayer because he's going to talk about, really, it breaks down this, this whole section on prayer that Jesus gives. His model prayer is very similar to the one that we see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, it's a model prayer as well, and so it's, it's very similar in, in its structure and content. And so what Jesus does in, in our, our text today, it really breaks down into uh, three sections. This, not, not just today's text, but, but this whole section on prayer. We have the model prayer that gives us kind of a, a, a model, a, a content a structure, I guess you'd say. Um, then we have a teaching on persistence in prayer, about keeping going, keep going to God over and over and over again with our prayer requests. And then finally, it finishes up with uh, a teaching on God's faithfulness uh, to answer our prayers. Now, our text today actually breaks down into three sections as well. And uh, it, it, it we'll, we'll get to that in just a little bit, but, but it, it starts with the request, and then it goes to the response, and then we finish out with the lesson. So, if you found Luke chapter five and are able, or Luke chapter eleven and are able, uh, please stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse five and read down to verse ten, and we'll see what he has to say about asking, seeking, and knocking. Verse five. Then he said to them, "This is speaking of Jesus. Suppose one of you had a fr- has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey." And I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me, for the door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. And thank you. May be seated. So Jesus gives this model prayer, and then he to, to illustrate the point of persistence in prayer. He doesn't just say, "Guys, you need to keep praying over and over and over again." But it's, he doesn't do that. Instead, he gives us a story, and then he draws an application from that. So the first part of the story is the request. And if you look back at verse 5, you'll notice that Jesus gives a hypothetical situation. He says, suppose, imagine if you will, that you had a friend. Now, hard stop right there. Some of us, that is something that we have to imagine. Some of us are, don't have a whole lot of friends. But, but imagine, he says, imagine you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. Now, some of us are night owls. Some of us, that wouldn't be a big deal if somebody showed up at our house at midnight because we're not in bed anyway. We're up doing work or watching TV or whatever it is we're doing, some of us that wouldn't be a huge thing, but some of us that would be a pretty big deal. But listen, even if you are a night owl, somebody showing up at midnight is going to be inconvenient. Somebody showing up at midnight is there, it's going to be disturbing to you, and, and that's especially true, even if it's your friend. Now this, 
if you are snug in your bed and you hear a, a knock at your door and somebody's coming at midnight, if you are if you are not a night owl and you're all snug in your bed and you're deep asleep, somebody starts pounding on the door, you're not going to welcome them real warmly, are you? So this guy, he shows up at midnight in this story. And and we shouldn't allegorize this and, and try and come up with some mystical meaning for, for midnight. It's just necessary to the story. But notice he's not there on a social visit. He's not there to sit and drink coffee and visit. He's not there to play tiddlywinks. He is there because he is in need. He's there out of necessity. He, he needs some bread. Now, why does he need bread? Well, if you look at your, your Bible there, he needs bread because he had a friend that showed up at his house on a journey, evidently unexpectedly, probably quite late, and he needs some food. Mother Hubbard's cupboard is bare. Anybody's house like that? Mine gets like that sometimes, and it's like you open the cabinets, you open the fridge, and it's just like, wow, how'd that happen? That's what this guy's situation is, and then he has a guest show up, and he needs some food. He can't run down to, to the Walmart. He can't run down to, to, to the Dollar General. He can't go to any other store and get the food. So he goes to his friend, and he says, man, I need some help. And now, now we've talked about this before, but hospitality over there was and still is a huge, uh, it's a social expectation, it's a social norm. And so th- this was especially true because they didn't have, you know, Holiday Inn or Days Inn or, you know, Tom Bodette wasn't leaving the light on for anybody. Uh, you, you, when you got to town, you had to stay with somebody because there wasn't any other choice. And so this guy, he has to get some food for this guest. And so he goes to his friend, he's, he's in need, and he goes to him at midnight. He says, friend, I have a guest that shows up, that showed up, and, and I need some help. Now he has a reasonable expectation that his buddy is going to help him out. And notice how reasonable this request is. Look, look again at, at the text. Look at, verse, look at verse 5. It's a reasonable request. He says, can I borrow some food? Can I borrow some bread? This guy's not going to be out anything. He says, if you just give me some bread, I will pay you back. You're not going to be out anything. I will bring some loaves to you. I just need something on the spot. He has a legitimate need. Here's this guest coming. He's not just showing up saying, hey, uh, you know, I, I just want to bother you tonight. He has a real need. He's friends with this man. So on top of all the other stuff, he has a reasonable expectation that because of his friendship, this guy will get up. Give him the bread he needs, and that will be all. Because have, have, you ever, have you ever had those friends that really come through at just the right time? I mean, you're, you've got a need, and man, they, they show up, and, and they, they, they give you the help you need, and it's just such a, a refreshing thing. And we've all had those times whenever people don't do that. And, and we have that expectation, and then they, they, they fail to do that in some way, and we know how hurtful that can be. So this guy has a reasonable request, he has a reasonable expectation, and he has a legitimate need. So we would expect that this guy this that's inside the house, of course we, we have already read it so we know the, the what actually happens, but we would expect this guy to get up, say, you know what, that really stinks, here's the bread. But that's not what happens. Look at what he says. Because evidently his friend is Oscar the Grouch. Because look at verse 7, what's his response? From inside he answers and says, do not bother me. Scram, go away, leave me alone. If he had it, a good friend, even reluctantly, even with mixed motives, would have gotten up and said, here you go, now leave me alone. 
Just take the food and get out of my house. If he was a really good friend, he would have done so joyfully. If he was just an okay friend, he would have done so and just be glad to have gotten rid of the guy. But notice his response wasn't even wasn't good at all. He says, do not bother me. Leave me alone. Why? Here are two reasons. Look at what he says. This kills me. Verse 7, first reason, the door's locked. It reminds me of the, of the guy that got, gets turned down to the dance because the, the girl has to wash her hair. Hey, hey, will you help me? I have this desperate need. I'm sorry. Don't bother me. Why can't you help? My door's closed. That not, not too good of a reason to not help your friend. He says, he says, I can't do it. The door's closed. It's locked. Now, there could be some legitimacy here because what else did he couple with it? Me and the kids are asleep. Now, if you've dealt with children who are asleep, you can res- this resonates with you. This speaks to your soul. Because you say, you let sleeping dogs lie. Man, if that kid is asleep, you don't do anything, wake him up. You remember putting the kids in bed, put them in their crib, and they're finally asleep, what do you do? You will crawl out the room so they don't wake up. You will tiptoe around. You will shush everybody in the house. You will have the TV on mute and you just read the captions so it doesn't wake up that kid. He says, I can't do it. My door's closed and the kids and I are in bed. Now your translation may say that the the kids and I are, are in the same bed. Now this is foreign to us because we have so many rooms in our house, but back then they had, sometimes it was a one-room house, sometimes it just had a couple of rooms. But it was commonplace for the parents and the kids to all sleep in the same room. Even, even common for the kids, the parents, and servants to all sleep in the same room. And so you can imagine, if the kids are all sprawled out there on the floor on mats, trying to step over them, not step on little Timmy's arm, not, not try to step on a little... Sarah's leg is there, you know how kids' body parts are, and, and try to get to the door, and then that door is locked, so you got the, you got the, the rings on the, the metal rings on the doors and a big piece of wood through it to, to serve as a lock, trying to get all that out. So it, there's, there could be some legitimacy of not wanting to wake the kids up, the door being locked. And if they're all in the same bed, you know, he doesn't want to get up and disturb them. And so we look at that and we say, well, I can kind of, I can kind of see where he would not want to do that, but listen... Is waking little Timmy up, waking little Sarah up, is that anything compared to, is that inconvenience anything compared to this real need and this call of friendship? And the answer to that is no. He should have gotten up and done it. Now, again, as much as we might, as much as that might resonate with that, with us, that's not a legitimate reason to deny his friend some help. And here's the punchline. Even if this friend won't get up because he's friends. Even if this friend won't get up because the guy has a desperate need. Look at verse 8. He will get up to get the guy to leave him alone. He says, I tell you, verse 8, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, the, my Bible renders this word persistence. Some translations render this importunity. You might look at that and say, what in the world is that? Well, the, the, he, the, the Greek word that's used here actually means shamelessness. Because of his shamelessness. In other words, 
This guy has no shame pounding on the door at midnight where it's going to wake people up. It's going to disturb the neighbors. It's going to disturb the occupants of the house. It's going to wake up the kids. He is shameless, and he, he knocks on the door. Hey, hey, I have this need. He says, go away. And he just, hey, hey, I have a need, but I have kids that are asleep. They ain't going to be if you don't give me some bread. I have a need. And he just keeps up, and he keeps up, and he keeps up, and he's shameless in it. He's persistent in it. And Jesus says, now here's the lesson. So, verse 9, so... I say to you, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now, he doesn't give a lot of application to this. And we have to be careful how we apply this story. Because this is a story about being persistent in prayer. And if we're not careful in how we apply this, we're going to have some really, we're going to be off in, in left field in our theology of prayer. In our understanding of prayer. Now, just, just, I just want to highlight this. If you'll notice in, in uh, uh, verses 9 and 10, we don't get this in English, but if you just, if you see it more plainly in the original language, but even if you just look at the context of this and, and consider it, you'll see it in the English as well. When he says ask and seek and knock, this is not a one and done thing. It's not ask one time, you don't get the answer that you want, and that's it. But ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. This is in the original language. It's in the present tense. It means it's an ongoing action. It's, it's keep on doing it. Be persistent in it. Don't be ashamed with how much you go to the throne of grace. Have you ever felt bad sometimes you pray? It's like, God, sorry. Come to you again. Same thing. I know I've been praying about this for a year. And I've been praying about this for, for a month. And I've been praying about this for, for the last decade. But I'm coming to you again. He says, don't be ashamed. Be persistent in your prayers. And so he gives a promise. Everyone, and he's talking about every, every Christian, because God uh, doesn't, he, he, he's under no obligation to uh, listen to or answer the prayers of non-believers. He says, everyone who, who, who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And whoever uh, knocks to him, it will be open. So what lessons can we draw from this? Again, we have to be careful how we apply it. One lesson that we see here is an argument from lesser to greater. From lesser to greater, it can be summed up in the phrase, since that is true, how much more then? Since that's true, how much more then? The idea is this. If your friend is as feeble and frail and fallen, in this case kind of rotten, if maybe doing things out of mixed motives at the best, bad motives at the worst, if they will get up and help you, how much more then will your good and perfect and loving Heavenly Father help His people? See, when we read this story, and this is something you see in Luke a couple times. We have it here. We have it with the, the, uh, the parable of the persistent widow, which we'll get to another time. Uh, we, we, we have... Good lessons being learned from bad examples. And so we look at this and we, we apply that. We, we say this is what Jesus says and this is God. Understand this is a, not a comparison. This is not saying this is what God is like. This is a contrast. He is saying 
if people are like this, how much better is God, your heavenly Father? He, he's not comparing, he's contrasting God to this friend. So, that, that's the first lesson that we see. A, a second lesson, and it's related to this, is that we don't wear God down, we don't change God's mind, we don't convince Him to, to, to do better in some way. See, some people look at this and they apply this man's behavior to God and say, well, God must be like this. He must be kind of a, a skin flint. He must be kind of a, a stingy, unwilling friend because that's what this, this, this man is in the story. Therefore, if I want my prayer answered, I've got to bother God a lot. I have to harass God. I have to cajole Him. I have to try to manipulate Him. I have to bother Him, harass Him, just, just, just really put the screws to Him. Is that what this is teaching? Absolutely not. Listen, this parable highlights the contrast between this friend's character and God's. I know I've said that, but I'm going to say it again. Am I saying then that all your prayers, as eloquent or as simple as they are, am I saying that your prayers do not change God's mind? That's exactly what I'm saying. Because if, if our prayers change God's mind, think what that implies. First, it implies that the Almighty has not considered this great fact that we've just given Him. If, if, if our prayers change God's mind, what's that saying? That God is disposed to do this course of action. And then we say, Father, please do such and such because X, Y, Z. And he says, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's some good thinking. I wish I would have thought of that. It, 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 it would imply that maybe we're more compassionate and loving and caring and giving and, 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 and wiser than God. And if it wasn't for us and Him listening to our benefic beneficence, to our, our goodness and kindness, and our love for our fellow man, that God was disposed to do something, and we said, Father, please do X, Y, Z. And he says, you know what? That's a great idea. You know, I was going to do this. I was going to drop a piano on his head. And But now since you said to bless him, I'm just going to bless him. Or it would imply that God and his plan and his decree, his purpose is changeable. Yet the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I know what some of you are thinking. I know it. You're thinking, but pastor, you need to read your Bible. Because I know this, this verse, I know a couple of verses that say that God changed his mind. But, it, but, but God acted in a different way. You know, Jonah said Nineveh's going to fall in 40 days, and, and they didn't. They were spared. Yes, that's true. And if you'll read, what, have, what did they do in the meantime? They repented. Their relationship to God changed. And, and, and I, I, I may very well deal because, frankly, this is not really the point of the sermon, and, and to deal with these texts, you can't really do it in a full way kind of in passing, I might just I might preach a sermon within the next couple of weeks that, that deal with some of those passages as they relate to prayer. But I, I want to say this. You don't wear God down. You don't convince God. You don't manipulate God. Yes, Jesus says pray persistently. Absolutely, 
And he says that the one who asks, seeks, and knocks will be answered. They'll find it'll be open to them. What does the Bible explicitly teach in 1 John? In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything, how? According to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we will have the request which we have asked of him. See, we want to pray, God, not thy will, but mine be done. That's the opposite of what we should be praying, because we should be praying, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Because prayer is not about bending God to our wills. It's about asking and seeking and knocking about a thing according to his will. And that is when he hears us. That is when he answers us. It's submitting our wills to his wills, his will. Lesson three, sometimes God does not answer immediately. Sometimes God does not answer us immediately. And we can all attest to this. We all know if we've prayed that God doesn't, you know, we don't say, God, please do such and such. Amen. And it happens then, that moment. Sometimes it'll happen real quickly. Sometimes it'll happen days, months, years, decades down the road. We pray for that person. We pray for, for, for the friend, for the spouse, you know, for their salvation or whatever it is. And finally, after 25 years of praying, that person gets saved. After however, many, however long it is, he, he answers in, in some way. If God answered immediately every time, Jesus' teaching wouldn't make sense. There'd be, no, there, there'd be no reason to be persistent because there'd be nothing to be persistent about. Now, here, here's the kicker. We know that God is not like this friend in the story. But sometimes it feels like it, doesn't it? That's okay to nod yes because I know it does. Because what happens is in our times of waiting, when we've prayed, we've poured our heart out to God and there's a delay, if we don't control our thought life, we can get carried away. We can, as they used to say back home, we can go to seed in some area. Then we can start focusing on, God must not love me. God must not hear my prayers. I must have done something wrong. I must be in sin. Maybe God doesn't exist because I prayed and it's not happening. I prayed over and over and over, and I'm not seeing God move. I, I, I'm not seeing Him act. Our problem is we're so small and we're so finite. Our our field of view is so narrow. Our our knowledge of the future is zero. We don't see all the moving pieces. We don't see how it all fits together. We can't see a year down the road, or five, or twenty-five, or a lifetime down the road. We don't know the ramifications of the thing that we're asking for. We don't know if we're ready for God to answer our prayers, even the way that we're praying them. And so we should persist in our prayers because sometimes God doesn't answer right away, and there's always a good reason for it. So persist in your prayers. And the final lesson I, I want to draw out of this is that persistence in prayer causes us to evaluate our own prayer life. And it causes us to consider what's really important. Now, I, I, I want to illustrate what I'm talking about. In, this week, maybe week before, I can't remember, we got, you, you remember back when I was a kid, they called it the Christmas catalog. Remember those? 
They used to be great big and thick, and we got one of those, only it was a little bitty. But it was, it was uh, just a, a magazine of toys the kids can't live without. And the kids, the, the boys, had gotten in the car. I'd gotten the mail, and they came up and got in the car, and, and, and we were going up to the house, and they began to look through it. And they, they opened it. They're sitting in the seat next to me. And they opened it up. And they were telling me all the stuff they wanted. And at one point, they, it, was, it was open. John said, I want this. And he just motioned to everything. He said, except for that shirt. I don't want that shirt. <laughs> so he wanted everything except this one shirt. And the thing about, I'll just be real. The thing that's frustrating to me about kids, one of the things, is they have to have something. And you get them to something, and then the something disappears. You get them this thing, oh, they have to have it. They'll ask, maybe it's birthday, Christmas, walking through the store. Oh, please, can I get that? Will you please get this for me? And you get it, and a week later, it's in the back of the closet. It's buried in the bottom of the toy box. Somehow it's just missing a month later, you ask them about this, this thing they had to have that was so important to them, and they don't even know what you're talking about. Has anybody else experienced that? It's not just my kids. We've all seen that, right? And it's so frustrating to me. I know. I'm, I'm bad. But that's the way it is. But listen, we're like that as a grown-ups. We're like that as Christians. Because we'll come to God in prayer and we'll say, God, i got to have this. God, you've got to move in this situation. Oh, please, Father, please, please. That's all I need. That's all I want. If, if you'll just do this, I promise I might think about going on the mission field one day, some maybe. And we just pray and say, God, you've got to do this. And then a couple days later, we forgot we've even prayed about it. And the prayer request that we've done has gotten answered. And we don't ever turn around and think, God, we don't even remember that we've prayed about it. Say, Pastor, I've never done that. How, what about this? You ever found an old prayer list that you've made? A prayer list that's you, maybe it's a personal prayer, maybe it's a prayer journal. And you've written out this request, and it's dated 2020. And so that's just last year. And you look at it. And maybe there's even an answer to a prayer. And you say, boy, must have been important. So I wrote it down. Must have been important. I put it on the prayer list at church. But boy, I sure don't remember why I did that. And we've all done it. Maybe you've looked at a prayer list at, at, in our church. And you say, I remember putting him on the list. Why did I do that? Persistence in prayer causes us to say, you know what? This thing, I may not be praying about it in two days. I may not be praying about it in six hours. Persistence in prayer causes us to, to evaluate our prayer life and say, you know what? This is really important. I'm going to keep praying about this. I'm going I'm to lift this up over and over and over again. And, and sometimes, you know, i, I got to think about it. If my kids response to what they saw was an indication of how destitute they were they are paupers 
and sometimes we are like that. We, we act like God hasn't, has not blessed us with anything, like He's never answered a prayer, like He's not you know, given us uh, blessing upon blessing. Listen, we need to be persistent in our prayers because some of that stuff that is like seeing that, that toy you got to have, and then within 15 minutes you've forgotten about it, Listen, our prayers, we, we need to be persistent in our prayers and consider how serious those requests are. Because sometimes the things that we can't live without are forgotten about very, very quickly. It allows us to consider what's really important. And then to recognize God's activity whenever it happens, His answer to it, and then to glorify Him and praise Him when He's responded. Now what's the point of all this all this text, all my sermon. Be persistent in your prayers. Now I'm not saying simply have a consistent prayer time. Yes, it's important to have a regular prayer time. What I'm saying is, beyond that, if you have a need or a request, be persistent in praying about it. There are really two schools of thought. One school of thought says, if you have a need, you pray about one time, God's hurt, he's, he, he's your Heavenly Father, He knows what we need before we need it. You pray about it, give it up to Him, that's it, amen, go down the road. I understand the thought process behind that. But Jesus specifically says, pray often, pray consistently, pray persistently. We need to keep doing it. And again, don't think that by doing that you're going to manipulate God. Have you ever had a kid that, that bothers you so much you finally just say, fine, just do whatever it is, just leave me alone. You're not getting that with God. He, he can, he, that, that's not the way it works. Be persistent and trust that God will answer your prayers according to His good and His perfect will. Pray. Pray for that person. Maybe you... Maybe you you have somebody that's that, that's in your family, that, that's a friend of yours, and you say, you know what, I have prayed for them, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything. You don't know what's going on in their hearts. Pray for them. Continue to pray for them. Pray about that situation again. In just a little bit, we're going to have a time of, um, of response. We're going to have a time of prayer. That would be the perfect time to be persistent in your prayers. Say, so, Pastor... I prayed for it last week. Great, do it again. If it's important, pray about it. Lift, lift that thing up in prayer. Lift that person up in prayer. Say, well, I don't know what God's will is. Okay, pray that he would do his will. Here's, here's one prayer that God will always answer that we know is his will. The prayer of repentance and faith. The Bible says that, 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 that God has commanded all people everywhere to repent. And that means that if you, if, if you do what He's commanded, you are doing His will. Repent of your sin. Turn to Christ in faith, knowing that, that you, don't, you don't deserve salvation, you can't earn your salvation, but He offers it to you freely. That whosoever will believe on Christ will be saved. That means you. If you've never done that, trust Christ for salvation today. Won't you stand with me as a musician comes? As you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.
and with nobody looking around, I just want to encourage you again to lift up that person, that situation in prayer. Maybe it's a health need, a job situation, a family situation. Again, that prayer of salvation is one that God will always answer. Because if you will come to Him in repentance and faith, that is because God is drawing you. He is convicting you of your sin. And the proper response to that is to repent, to turn your back on your sin. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that that you answer our prayers according to your will and not our own. Because we don't know what lies ahead. We don't know the outcome of situations. We don't know. Our, our, our focus is so narrow and we're so close to situations we, we can't even see straight sometimes. And thank you that you are all wise and all knowing and all loving and all good. And Father, I pray that you would would hear our prayers that they would be acceptable to you and that you would answer them according to your will and in your time. And God, in those times of standing at the door and knocking, as it were, of asking, of seeking, and there's that delay in answer, God, I pray that you would strengthen us and encourage us and help our faith to not lose heart. God, I pray for each person that's here, each person that's uh, watching this online. We, I, I pray for uh, the needs that are on our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would do your will in those situations, whatever that is. God, thank you that you hear us, though we don't deserve it. God, I, I thank you that you always hear the prayer of faith. And it's used that word all in Scripture, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Lord, if there's somebody who's hearing me today that's never accepted Christ as their Savior, they've never called on, on, on Christ for salvation, God, I pray that you would uh, draw them, help them to do that today, and then let them experience the grace and forgiveness that you promise. Thank you again, God, that we can come to you through Christ, to the throne of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. What song?